All right, hello, and welcome to Totem Talks, episode 16. Very exciting. 16 episodes, and uh, what do you get? Just another day <laughs> older and deeper in debt. Oh, my gosh. Uh, what a deep dive into the yeah. very specific low totem category of music. Yeah, exactly. Or if you are a Tennessee Ernie Ford fan. Yeah, a lot of them out there listening to the show. I drive apart. a Chevy. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Anyway... Welcome to episode 16, guys. Uh, we really appreciate you guys being here with us. If you are new to Totem Talks, welcome. If you're not, welcome back. And uh, you kind of hopefully get the vibe of what we're going for here. Uh, we are taking musical artists and ranking them. We have a little set criteria that you're going to hear in this episode. If this is your first episode, we really recommend going back to at least just episode one. So you yeah. can get uh, the rules broken down in the beginning of that episode. We break down the rules. Also, we do the Beatles. Right. So. Also, we think all the episodes are great, to be fair. That's but, true. Yeah. We we love all our children yes, equally. Exactly. Uh, but that's what we do. We take three artists an episode. Uh, Nick, why don't you tell us who the three artists are oh, today? Oh, I would love to. So we're going to start things off with The Firm, who, if you haven't heard of them, I guarantee you're going to have heard of the people who are in it. Uh, and then Muse. And then we finish things up with fish today. Right. So before we get into it, we should introduce ourselves. I think so. So we are Low Totem, a Bucks County, Pennsylvania-based cover band who also does originals, but also decided to start podcasting during, you know, 2020, because yeah. what, else what else are we doing yeah. during 2020? So my name is Pat, and I'm the lead singer for Low Totem. And I'm Nick, and I sing, play guitar, and piano for Low Totem. And I am Tyler. I cook the food, so I, I you know, I, I'm in charge of like every every band member has like a a special meal. Um, so typically for a gig, I'll cook like four rotisserie chickens for Pat. <laughs> make some toast for Nick. Toast plain, is way just, too heavy. Just for plain, Nick. yeah, plain toast. I eat one quarter of it. Yeah, and then Alex and George pretty much just get whatever's left over. So three quarters of one piece of toast. Yeah. And <laughs> and three rotisserie chickens. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely cannot eat four rotisserie chickens. That's Fair enough. a little much. Also, the grease on my hands. Yeah, that would make it hard to it hold the microphone. Exactly. It would slip out of my hands, like the bar of soap. Right. <laughs> Which is exactly the perfect segue into Pat telling us about The Firm. That's what I really want to hear Yeah, about, that's you know? the perfect segue. Uh, so The Firm were a British rock supergroup. Um, if you've been here, you've heard us talk about supergroups before. Several times. Uh, so they were formed in 1984, featuring Paul Rogers, who's a familiar name to us, yeah. uh, from the band Free and more famously Bad Company, but we haven't got to them yet. Correct. Guitarist Jimmy Page. From the Yardbirds. From the Yardbirds. More, more popularly Led Zeppelin, but yeah, we haven't definitely. got to them yet. And drummer Chris Slade. Who has been a bunch of stuff, but mostly for our fans, Uriah Heap. Right, he did play on one Uriah so, Heap album yeah, in 1980. Yep, played so. on one Uriah Heap album. And then uh, bass player Tony Franklin, who we've never talked about before. Right, and who knows, maybe we will again someday. Someday. We, we can hope. <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, that's The Firm. Yeah, only two um, records from these guys. Yeah, and they came together after the disillusion of Led Zeppelin, Bad Company, Right. Yeah, a lot of this had to do with the death of Led Zeppelin's drummer John, yeah, Bonham, John Bonham and the way that they kind of really struggled to stay together after that, and they ended up kind of drifting off into other projects. Yeah. And uh, so Paige managed to team up with Rogers, 
And the interesting thing I thought about this man was that they actually did, Slade and Franklin were not their first choices for the rhythm section. Yeah. They were actually hoping to get Bill Bruford, who was drummer very famously for Yes and several other bands, who's one of my favorite drummers of all time, and Pino Palladino, who is one of my top three or four favorite bassists of all time, very also, famous for John Mayer's uh Just want to throw records. it out there. Top tier name. Pino Palladino is a great top name. tier yes. name from that guy. I Absolutely. mean, that's, but that's not, a clutch and I, name, right? And I don't want to, you know, rip on the other guys because obviously they're good musicians. They were wanted, yeah. but I part of me will always look back at these albums and say, but what, what if? if they got my favorite yeah. drummer and bassist? You know, <laughs> no, I hear that. Uh, so the two albums, obviously, we're going over are the only two albums from the right. firm. Uh, there's an eponymous album, The Firm, which was released in 1985. And then their final album, Mean Business, which was released in 1986. Right. I so, want you to open with this, actually, because sure. I felt like this was this first album was definitely your style, and I want to kind of... Yeah, and Nick is absolutely correct. I really enjoyed this first album. Uh, I thought it was a really good example of 80s rock that wasn't like synth poppy, you know, didn't have the heavy synth or heavy electronic feel. It was just good, solid rock, you know, good, solid musicians, obviously. I mean... Two of the musicians that I had known before this were in like two of the greatest bands. I'm all, I mean, right. Bad Company is a great band, right, but not right. one of the sure, greatest. But Zeppelin is obviously Zeppelin is you know top tier, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have a couple positives about this one. Uh, song wise, I really enjoyed the opening song "Closer." Um, I thought it had like a, a really cool brass section. Uh, I loved the feel. I actually looked it up to confirm that I was right. Because Alex taught me a little bit about fretless bass. Oh, yeah. Which mm-hmm. is what was being played on that song. So our new bass player, Alex, right, has yeah, already good. taught me something about bass. Good catch. Uh, Radioactive was the hit from the firm. Interesting. <clears throat> yeah. I, didn't, I thought that was one of the weaker tracks, It was enough. one of the weaker yeah. tracks, but that was the hit. Uh, that was the one they released as a single. Okay. Uh, that was like, if you heard a firm song and you knew it, it probably was Radioactive. Right. Um. They did a cover of You've Lost That Love and Feeling. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Nick and I had already talked about it. Paul Rogers, great vocalist. Yep. But part of the Righteous Brothers is that they have two killer vocalists and they use harmony the entire time yeah. and it's a much more simple arrangement. Right. I mean, the one Paul Rogers vocal line was the best part of that For song. For sure. Definitely. But... but Coupling that, I loved Make or Break. I ha- I thought it had a really good build and great vocals. Yes. And then I thought Someone to Love had a really great bass. Okay. Really great bass on that song. And all in all, with the exception of You've Lost That Love and Feeling and Radioactive, I thought this was a killer album. Yeah, I figured you would say that. <clears throat> um, and it's funny because I-, I enjoyed this album for the most part. And sort of right in line, and I didn't read about the other guys who they almost had in the band until yeah. after I listened, but the weak points for me were the drum and the bass all the way through. And yeah, not that they're bad players, yeah. but there was something that was so 80s about the tone, like the and reverby snares. If you've been paying attention. I don't like that Nick sound at all. hates the uh, 80s yeah. sound. Not music. right, exactly. Um, a lot of great music from the 80s, but that like very stereotypical yeah. 80s sounds are things that I don't really care for. And that threw me out a little bit but Paige and rogers were both so great on this album that it brought me back in tons of those classic jimmy page guitar tones all the way through that was that was really great and then the last track midnight moonlight was going to be a led zeppelin song 
but then they just didn't get around to recording it and right. finishing it out. And I thought Midnight Moonlight was a really great track. Yeah, you could definitely hear. So, yeah, you Zeppelin could hear the Zeppelin it. influence for sure. Uh, Tyler, what do you think? I mean, you guys covered a lot of the major talking points here. I, my takeaway from it was kind of good, not great. None of it really stuck with me after I listened to it, but sure. I didn't have an unpleasant time listening to it either. You know, it definitely has that 80s rock sound. When I think of 80s rock, so many other groups and songs come to mind. Twisted Sister, Dead or Alive, Kiss, you know, more Nick and more. visibly gagged at the mention of Kiss. I just want to <laughs> put just, that out I mean, there. at all the bands that he mentioned, but that's fine. Yeah, but I, I saw, I, when I looked up and he said Kiss, I watched that happen. If I had been introduced to this earlier in my life, I think maybe I would have held it in higher regards. But as it stands, I don't know, this kind of is a, a little forgettable, but not for lack of competency. Mm. Yeah, I get that. I think there are a lot of tracks between both of these records that could be like the pleasantly forgettable type, mm-hmm. you know. So the one thing I'll say before we move on to the second one, Tyler, I want to let you go first because I feel like you might have the highest opinion of the second one. We'll see. Um, it suffers the typical supergroup, not as good as the sum of its parts. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I, it's oh, it's the very heavy theme of supergroups. Yeah, anyone? Like, wow, we're combining Bad Company and Led Zeppelin, and like you think it's going to be them plus each other, but it's actually just another band. Yeah, yeah. Anyone definitely. who's who's been consistently listening to us all the way through knows my opinion of the word supergroup. I I don't <laughs> agree with it. Yeah. No, I hear um, you. And my expectations going into this one, when I was told that they were a supergroup, was not as high as the other right. ones that I was I'm told. Glad Which is good. Yeah, it's yeah. Starting, starting from a low <laughs> yeah. expectation to make it, it maybe okay. makes it more fair. Yeah, because, you know, especially, again, somebody like me who didn't know each individual member and where they were coming from and what they were. To me, I just listened to this like a band and everything was played well, I'd say above average music wise as far as like singing and instrumentation. Sure. Yeah, I but, mean, Jimmy Page is widely regarded to be one of the greatest guitarists of all yeah, time. Yeah, but none yeah. of the songs left any kind of, like, impact to me. It's it's kind of like listening to, like, uh, the solo stuff that some of the Beatles put out after okay. the Beatles broke up. You, like, right. listen to it. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah, this is, I could see how this could have been written by one of the Beatles. I, I mean, don't, I'd argue that Imagine you know, is probably one of the most famous songs of all time. That's true. That's a John Lennon solo it is. song. Well, then also, I guess Happy Christmas War is over. Okay, right, then right, I then right. I guess it's more. Then <laughs> You've I, gone too far afield, sir. Then I guess it's more of a George Harrison type thing. Hey, this George like, Harrison had a strong solo career post Beatles. Yeah, I've and got my mind set on you uh, over that and over and over that again. Wasn't even an original George Harrison. <laughs> okay, but uh, what did you think of uh, Mean Business, album, yeah. though? So this is the one that sounded the most familiar to me. I have no idea why, because I couldn't really like recall the lyrics or anything, but I was listening to it, and I had such a feeling of deja vu listening to a couple of the, the tracks, sure. so I have to assume that they've been used in movie and television, and I just was kind of like subconsciously recalling it when I've heard it before. Okay, I have a theory about this when you're finished that I want to throw out there. <laughs> um, this one definitely had... I. I don't know the best word to describe it. Aggressive seems seems inaccurate, but do, I don't know. Like this one just felt like there was way more energy behind the songs. Like the the first album almost is like the rock equivalent 
to like a to like a slow relaxation album and this one felt like it was very high energy like i would want to see this album done live in concert where the first one interesting kind of seems like nah you just put it on and you know do what you were going to do around the house i expected this because yeah, it was 80 yeah. synth the so whole yeah pat and i both dislike so, this album actually before you get totally started Okay. I if I had to pick one song that you hated, go ahead. My guess would be all the King's Horses. Interesting. Because it was the most synth poppy of the whole group. Yes. So I actually wrote that there was a great vocal and it could have been the best track, but it's just a little too eighties. Okay. That's okay. literally what like it it had the most potential, I think, to be well, a see, really I knew they were all gonna be good vocals yeah. because it's Paul Rogers. Right. And I knew they were Absolutely. all gonna be good guitar. So sure. I picked the one that was the most. But no, that one, that one I thought had a lot of potential, but it was 280s. That's All the King's Horses was totally, also a huge hit for them, even though no one's ever heard it. That one totally conjured uh, images of the Flash Gordon movie for me. Like if you, if it. you told me that it was a that it was a Queen song, I'd be like, I'd be like, yeah, no, I could totally see how this is a Queen that. song. The, I mean, these records are pretty much right in line with 80s rock, so I can see what you mean. But um. So my theory, Tyler, as to why these songs may- maybe felt more familiar is the writing was much more heavy-handed Paul Rogers, and I felt like maybe some of these tracks felt like extensions of late free when Paul Rogers was doing a lot of the writing. I felt like he had a very distinctive right. style, and you could tell when Paul Rogers was writing these songs. Um, Live in Peace was the first track where I was like, wow, wow, wow. This is Paul Rogers. Did anyone else even have a piece of it? And then I looked it up. And that song was actually a Paul Rogers solo song that this band re-recorded. <laughs> That's so awesome. yeah. There's a ton more influence of that um, Rogers writing. I will, say, but it I, doesn't help the album. It's just not. It's no, not that good. I mean, listen. I have, I'll have, I'll say two things before we get started. But one thing that I wanted to say to you, Tyler, is you just mentioned Queen. Do you are you aware that Queen and Paul Rogers like toured together with Paul Rogers as the frontman for Queen? Not replacing Freddie, but doing yeah. you know a For combination a of Queen songs and Paul Rogers songs. Why didn't you just say that as a statement or a fact? You know that I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Fair just enough. because you mentioned it, so I thought it was really interesting. All right. Pat, why don't you wrap up your thoughts on yeah, this? Yeah, real quick. Um, I agree. It, it was all kind of frantic and strained the whole way through. Mm-hmm. Very synthy. Strained. <clears throat> oh yeah, the Fortune Hunter, the first song, felt really strained to me. We we have um, a different definition of what that word means. We might maybe, but I tend to um, side it, with Pat. It felt musically strained. That's what it felt like to me. Yeah. And then uh, tear down the walls. I thought was the best song on the album. Okay, super like it was a super catchy pop rock song, but not in like it didn't have any eighties to me. I found the bass kind of distracting on that. Sure, I, I mean I get that, but see. Sound. I I, ch- I guess I might have been looking at it through a little bit of rose colored because it was a reprieve from that synthy mm-hmm. sound, which I was disappointed in because I knew who was recording the yeah, music. Right. So I was like, I don't mm-hmm. want this from you. I want the other things that you yeah. do so well. So let's grade them. Okay. So Oh uh, wait, before we grade yeah, them, please. I just want to give all of our listeners out there another Apple music warning. Um <laughs> when you search for the firm, uh the first artist that will come up. Is, is an R and B group horrible R and B group is an from R&B the nineties who released an album called the album. Yeah, <laughs> and it's I called, I swear it's called <laughs> the same. It's thing. called all the tracks are the called firm. the song. It's they call themselves the firm. They completely ripped off the Godfather logo for their logo, and <laughs> all of their songs are explicit. Yeah, they, they're actually like 
their titles are the title of the song and then in quotes explicit yep and then the, the apple tag. music logo for right. explicit so they really wanted to to ring that home to you yeah, yeah. and they're the worst and that's Fair. what i listened to um, first yeah. what would I an episode be without <laughs> a rip of I apple music i also listened to like four of their songs because i huh. put it on i just typed in the firm i knew there was only two albums we were listening yeah. to both so i just clicked the first album i saw and then and started like, driving what to is work this? I started driving to work, and obviously I'm driving. I can't operate my yeah, phone. Right. As soon as I started listening, I'm like, "Well, this isn't what we were supposed to listen to." <laughs> but now I'm in, and I had to listen oh, to four so songs funny. before I could pull over and change it. That is hilarious to me. Okay, so let me give my little spiel on cultural impact. Um, so they're a supergroup with some of the most famous musicians who played throughout the '60s, '70s, and '80s in them, and yet somehow. No one has ever heard that this band exists. Yeah. They somehow had a a hit that was at the top of the Billboard tracks and all the King's Horses that no one has ever heard. Like well, how people have heard I, it. but you know what I'm saying? Like you've never heard that song on the radio. It's never been played anywhere. It's not a famous song, even though it's right. super famous musicians. Somehow they took all these famous people with a lot of talent and made them completely unknown. I just sure. don't like it's bizarre to me. I yeah, mean, like especially for me listening to their first album, if you told me like, "Oh, this is like an indie group from the 80s that never caught on." I'd be like, "Oh, yeah, well they're not terrible, but I could see how like they just couldn't get a record deal." Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 bizarre. So, I mean, it has to be low cuz I mean, we've had supergroups before that people have at least heard of you know like they're not necessarily usually super high in cultural impact because a lot of times these super groups get together and only do a small number of albums there's not a lot right. of music but people have at least heard of audio slave you right. know whereas no one knows that the farm exists i sort of knew that they existed but i couldn't have named a song yeah so uh just for some cultural numbers the firm the original album went gold mm -hmm. in canada and the united states uh, I cannot find any sales threshold information yeah, on their right. business. Exactly. They don't even have their own like um, discography page on Wikipedia. Right. Like Most bands, you can at least just pull up and see how they charted on Wikipedia in a second, and these guys don't even have a page. Yeah, yeah so, they don't even have a MySpace or a fake Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great point. Uh, so basically what we're saying, I, I personally, I don't want to give them the supergroup bump in here because we're going to get no. it to them. Yeah. In, in I don't think they get a point one because I think we'll find bands that are even more unheard of at some point. No, and I think but legitimately they're pretty low. get enough people that are fans of Rogers and Page. That, that, that's that the only reason the firm that, existed. right. Like, you're not going to be a fan of the people, Paul Rogers right. and, and Jimmy Page, and not have heard yes. of them at least but i'm gonna say that they're still somewhere below a one-hit wonder band because they didn't have a one-hit right. wonder i mean well, so i mean they could I would be argue in the high the, point the something i might be willing to give them just a one because all the king's horses did chart for a long time it did and, and like it's I amazing said, that i've never heard it singles that went that were pretty popular because okay. they have their singles they released right radioactive satisfaction guaranteed all the king's horses sure. and live in peace and then after 1986 those songs were never played again by anyone <laughs> well, i mean that's, that's un not a terrible fortunately or not but you know like a lot of songs charted just, in the I'm 60s and 70s them, and get played all the time i'm willing to give them the one okay that's fine i'm yeah, okay just with the, the one. one nothing crazy um, breath of work there's only two albums they didn't do particularly well commercially no i mean one two, was good a gold one was a eh. 
a gold certification for the first album. It's significantly below average. And there was yeah. a cover on there, and there were re-records of Paul Rogers songs sure. that he'd already released. So yeah. not even all these albums are new music. Uh, I was legitimately thinking probably like a 2-6. Um, if I you would, were higher or lower than that, that's I would fine, just but... I would be a, a tad lower. Okay. Just because, like, you know, two short albums... A couple of songs were already recorded before them. Sure, that, sure. You know, it's not new music. So maybe like a 2-3. Okay, I'm okay with a 2-3, Tyler. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay, so here's where I'm torn. Instrumental talent. Uh, I found the bass and drum sound distracting the whole time, and I don't think it's because okay. they're bad players. I think it was the way that they wanted to record and the sounds that they were looking for at the time. But I, it, it just didn't work for me. Well, remember, when we do super groups. We judge by the, the albums, groups, the right. albums, because it's and so easy to fall into. It, well, I well, know Jimmy that, Page yeah, is one exactly. of the greatest guitarists ever. And so here's no. the thing: I didn't think Jimmy played enough on these albums. I didn't no, think didn't Jimmy played like enough that. on I these agree. albums at all. However, these were some of Paul's best vocal performances. He nailed <laughs> also it. Agree. He nailed it. So Paul was great. Yeah, Jimmy was good wherever he played, but I he would have been great if he got the chance to play on more of the tracks. Yeah, and the rhythm section was kind of more of a distraction for me. Okay, so number that for me. Where are you at? So honestly, that balances out right around the middle for me. Sure. In the five, so range. I was I was sitting at like a five four myself. I'm fine with that. I want to acknowledge that that Paul did a great job yeah. and that Jimmy was great in the spots where he got to play, yeah. but that wasn't nearly enough. Yeah, they definitely and, went yeah. for a different sound, um, even though some of it was re-records. Yeah, right, so. exactly. So, and then, then songwriting talent, I mean, uh, I didn't love or find anything particular. I mean, they they, they just kind of hit that 80s rock sound that everybody else was doing at the time. Like, is this... Yeah. It's almost kind of funny that they didn't get bigger because they were basically just putting out the same kind of cookie-cutter 80s rock music that every other 80s rock group was putting out at the time. Yeah. And, you know, doing stuff with, but... And you'd think... That, I, I really do think maybe the names of the people involved and then you have that expectation of sound. Yeah. And that, you know... Very similar to like if Cindy Lauper in the eighties had put out Detour, it probably would have tanked. Yeah, right. right. Um, for those of you who listen to us, uh, Detour is a like a, a country cover album that Cindy Lauper put out. Uh, yeah, it recently. could be a lot of people who like Bad Company and Zeppelin put yeah, this record on and this said, record oh, is "This different. isn't what we want." Exactly. That's what and I'm assuming. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. That's um, that's a good point. So I don't know. I'm not wise. that high on this. I'm not that high on uh, that as well. I don't think that they were necessarily writing really bad songs or anything no. like that. But I mean, the songs kind of just I recognize that we don't like the style. But right. The style was done well. Sure. So I but we also have to acknowledge that there's only them. two records worth. And we usually yeah. knock bands who have a very small, yeah. you know, amount of work because their songwriting could have suffered. So, I mean, or, we'll see what Tyler know. says on this one. But I'm thinking like a four point four or five. Um, because the I albums were good. I was thinking, yeah, that's that's not too far. The albums far off were good, I and I know that you don't like the style, but I don't think we should knock. Yeah, them no, I don't want to knock them for the style. Like. I want to knock them for you know lack of creativity b between the two albums, and for only having a small amount of work. I mean, unless Tyler heard something different, I'm okay to go with the four four. Yeah, I mean that's pretty much what I was saying earlier when you asked me my opinion yeah. for the first album. Yeah, I mean as as much as I say that I preferred the second album over the first, again it was it was still to me like something more generic, less catchy. Sure. Mm -hmm. That while it all sounded familiar to me, and none of it felt 
bad. None, None of it's it really good. stuck. Yeah. And oh, sure. I, and it doesn't seem like it's stuck in the public yeah. zeitgeist either. I mean, right, there are exactly. plenty. I love mentions of the zeitgeist. Oh, there, all the time. There are plenty of 80s throwback TV shows and movies, especially right now, that are going on. 80s rock radio stations and stuff, and I've never heard any right. of these never. played. Right. Never. And if you have, they're immediately out of your head. Yeah, right. Okay, um, so, so you guys, I want to hear from you on Poetic Talent, because I was okay. I dug in more on the, the music. I am very, very neutral about their Poetic Talent. Okay. It was very, again, simple for the most part. Yeah. I liked uh, Midnight Moonlight, and I mm-hmm. liked- uh, Which was going to be a Led Zeppelin song. And that exactly. was a Paul Rogers. So, so the songs that you're picking out were songs that were essentially written by exactly. outside of this band, you know, not by. So, and that that hurts them a little bit, in my opinion. Yeah. I, again, am sitting right at like a 4.9. Just okay. that 0.1 under average to be like, it feels a little contrived, now, but it's still average. Okay. And my only question on staying in that range is. Do they get knocked at all for having such a short body of and work? And they may that may happen, and I'm willing to do so that. So, like, will we go to I maybe was, a four six or four seven? Right, just because I was okay there's not with enough bumping poems. them down a little bit. Yeah, I was just using them as a whole on that. But if you okay. want to bump them for the body bump of work, them just because you know, plus it's hard. Get it's the hard, right? Supergroup bump exactly because if you're comparing like their poems versus a guy like Bob Dylan, I'll just say because yeah. I mean, not only does Bob Dylan write well, but he's written so many dozens of albums worth yeah. of music. And how do you compare hundreds and hundreds of Bob Dylan songs to 15 songs by the firm, even if they were it. equivalent, you know? Um, so X Factor, the supergroup X Factor is in play here. Yes, I um, very much agree. And now my only question again is that, I mean, they were a supergroup, but no one seems to know or remember that they existed in any way. They made almost no impact on the culture no, that lasted. but, for... I mean, we're very we're very standard with what we right. do supergroups. And, and so I, I was looking back at what we gave. We gave Audio Slave only a half a point. Oh, yeah, supergroups super get factor. half a point. Okay, so that's what I want. Supergroup, okay. you get a point five just for being a supergroup. Okay. And then if you do something else, you get more. Fair enough. Point. Okay, let's just move right along to Muse then. All right, so Muse. Muse is an English rock band. They were formed in 1994, and they are still active today. Now, before we get too far into Muse and the albums we did... Uh, the number one thing that I saw about Muse in terms of reviews before I really listened to them was that they were like a ripoff of Radiohead. Interesting. Yeah, that's okay. the that was the general consensus that I was reading before I listened to them. So I'll be hmm. interested to see if we agree or disagree. I hadn't thought of that. Right. But now it's gonna. Now yeah. I'm starting to think about it that, with that. Know? So uh, the three albums we listened to were Showbiz. Their first album was released in 1999. Which is interesting, because they were active at 1994, five years to release their first album. Yeah, right, right. So it was just a little interesting. Um, then we listened to The Resistance, which came out in 2009. That's their most popular album. Mm-hmm. And then their most recent album, Simulation Theory, which came out in 2018. Yes, so it did. That is our, those are our picks for albums from Muse. Uh, Tyler, why don't you go first with Showbiz and let us know what you think about it. Um, my feeling towards showbiz is sort of, well, I guess, almost in the way that Nick doesn't like 80s <laughs> rock, yeah. I have a similar feeling towards uh, 90s and noughties rock. Mm. Um, Don't ever call it the noughties. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and, and, and it's funny because when I was younger, in like middle school, I was 
really into it. But yeah. I think as I've gotten older, I'm just not nearly as angsty as rock from that time I knew you then. Was. You weren't particularly angsty then. No, but I just mean, you know, you had... <laughs> just musically angsty? No, I mean, you had groups like uh, Green Day, Panic at the Disco, Fall Out Boy, stuff like yeah. that, and all of their stuff is sure. kind of like that emo-esque kind of thing, and that's sort of the vibe I got from this Showbiz yeah. album. Okay. And... So I I couldn't outright say I hated it because I knew that a piece of me from the past probably would have enjoyed it. But as I sit here at 27 years old, I just wow, you're old. Don't yeah. have those those same like, you know, feelings towards music okay. anymore. Right. I get it. Interesting. I kind of thought that this might have been like your pick from the week. So that's interesting. That's just oh, me I, guessing I based it, on what we well, talked so about before. I really his pick from the week would be the second album from uh, from the firm. Oh, okay. Well, Fair so so I'll, I'll say this. I know we're not on um, the second album we listened to by Muse. Yeah, we'll but, get there. But that one was actually more interesting. Oh, oh yeah, we will, uh, yeah, we, we all will, agree uh, with that. Yeah, but um, but yeah, this album, it it just it it had all those hallmarks. The kind of sure. not necessarily angry lyrics. It wasn't exactly like the heavy metal screamo type thing, but just like the lyrics and the words themselves are kind of just like oh, mm-hmm. things are miserable. Yeah. So oh, Nick, yeah, right. I, agree. I will let you go next because okay. I want to talk about showbiz and then right into the resistance. Right. Okay. Perfect. So, um, I'm not quite as down on this album as Tyler was. Okay. Um, it certainly doesn't compare to what comes after, but there right. were times when the arrangements were nice on here. Um, sure. There's a sound that I kind of associate with Muse, like a yeah. generalized, I don't even know how else to describe it, but it's that Muse feel. I feel like there's a specific progression they use. Probably, yeah. But um, I don't necessarily love that sound, mm-hmm. but they really established it here in this first album. And it was clear to me that everywhere where they got away from the sound that I associate with Muse was where the album flourished. Like, the song um, Unintended has some great classical guitar arrangements with strings, which Mm -hmm. is really nice. Uh, Falling Down, I thought, was a really great blues-inspired song that was, you know... The highlights of this album were essentially, when they didn't sound like Muse, I really liked it. Yeah, okay. That's that's what I've got for this. So... I really felt Radiohead in this album. Um, and I'll talk a lot about the influences of Muse through especially the next album because mm-hmm. there's three big influences in the next album. Yeah. Uh, but I was I was closer to Tyler on this one than I am to Nick. Uh, the vocals were weak, which always... Oh, yeah. A, a, oh, they're a, definitely it's the worst. It's a sore point for me. Um, I thought that like it was okay. I didn't love the vocals. I thought um, Sunburn had like decent piano, kind of punchy, but... Nothing special for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Muscle Museum is a big fan favorite, but I don't like it. It's unique. <laughs> yeah, I didn't I like that's it. That's the word I can use. Uh, for sounds... Falling Down, I had that was the most Radiohead sounding song because it was very haunty, mm-hmm. falsetto-y, and you know, Radiohead does that. Uh, and I thought that Showbiz, while not being great, was the best song on the album. Interesting. Okay. I did not think it was a great song, but I thought out of the songs on this album, it was the best. Okay. So moving right into the resistance, um, I think all three of us agree that it's our favorite Muse album. Yes. Well, yes, well, we do. Well, so oh, are you going to disagree? Well, no. I just want to clarify here. I, I said it was the most 
interesting. Okay, Did, is it not your favorite uh, of the three? Yes, but not for not for like you know me being totally in love with all the tracks. Just in how very unique and different it is. Sure. Okay. If okay. you said let's listen to an album by the Muse of the three that we listened to, this is the one I'd say to put on. Because while I don't necessarily love all the tracks, there is a lot of very interesting things happening here musically okay uh first mm-hmm. track in particular and i don't know how many of the people listening to this podcast are going to even know what i'm talking about I but mean, everyone's heard this song first track no no i I'm, i mean my my connection that i made to it no i know i'm just saying yeah. that at least people will have the basis <laughs> um, of this song um first track i swear to god it was just like they took the doctor who theme song <laughs> And changed it enough that it wasn't complete plagiarism, and then added that. lyrics to I didn't it. Hear that. It was very, I don't okay. know it was very bizarre. So um, the United States of Eurasia had a very Queen I, feel. I, this is why I wanted to, to go first, I Tyler. To go first, <laughs> I mean, yes. it was. I wanted to go first because I wanted to talk about the influences. He did. Boy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Girl. Oh my, oh my God! Am I Tyler? And I have to watch you guys fighting and get nervous. So anyway. <laughs> I agree. The United States Eurasia was a total queen influenced song, uh, which was really interesting. I it was done okay. Um, I also liked that in the middle there was like a kind of eastern vibe to the music. Um, it was interesting. Um, I, I mean, definitely that song got more had radio head So yeah, heavy Chopin influence Love throughout the album, it. which we will definitely talk about. Love it. Um, in terms of influences throughout um for undisclosed desires i got a real depeche mode vibe influences on that like kind of Bless depeche you. mode like the like the walmart brand depeche mode okay because i hated that song so I, interesting i, I yeah. literally was just like oh cool if i went to walmart and got the great value depeche mode album yeah okay. this is what i would be listening to is what it felt like to me right um guiding light instantly heard you too it's Instantly so interesting heard you too because I also really disliked that song. Well, you don't like you too. That's a good point. So <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. Um, for the rest of the songs, basically through the rest of the album, I really heard a lot more classical vibage. Like as the album went on, I mean, obviously ending in a three-part symphony, which was awesome. It was the best thing ever. <laughs> it was so sick. Um, oh, but in I terms thought of... I I thought it was a sign, honey. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so. Uh, Starting with track number eight, I Belong to You, uh, which in the middle of it has a a classical opera piece. It's a mezzo-soprano aria from Camille Saint-Saëns' opera Samson and Delilah. Yep. And it's Great. called, it's uh, oh my gosh, I'm not going to pronounce the French right. No. Uh, Mon cœur sauve ta la voix. Pretty close. So to all of our French listeners out there, <laughs> uh, please to all the French listeners, I am so sorry, but I'm pretty sure that's um, kind of how it's pronounced, but crazy to just include an, uh, a classical aria yeah, yeah, in the I, middle of your rock album. So glad they did it. Uh, seriously, it was like super inspired. And then going right from that to a three-part symphony. Now, I will say, in the symphony, I wish they didn't sing. Oh, t- totally agree. I totally wish agree. because the music was so good. Right. It should have just been if, instrumental. Like, the, the composition of the, the symphonic piece, the three parts, so Overture, Cross-Pollination, and Redemption, were so well done. 
Yep. That I just was just like, please don't sing, because I heard the vocals coming in, and I'm like, no, 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 I no, no, I really like this. Yeah, there were a but, lot of times when I kind of felt that way about Matthew Bellamy. Not yeah. always, not always, but yeah, there were a lot of times that I was th- just like, don't those sing. Those are the reasons that it's my favorite one of these albums, yeah. for sure. Classical influence, mm-hmm. Queen influence. Um, I didn't love the U2 or Depeche Mode and the radio right. kind of spattered throughout, but right. they had a lot of influences in this album that I really enjoyed. Yeah, it was kind of all over the place in the sense that, so it starts with the two songs that I knew going in, Uprising and Resistance, like the two yeah, most the famous two Muse most famous songs, songs, the only two that I'd ever heard before we did this episode. And I was, you know, I like those songs. I wouldn't yeah. put them on, but I was like, if they came on, I could enjoy them. Uh, although, to be fair, I cannot hear the song Uprising without that little two-note guitar riff every time. Call me! It's always Thank Blondie. You. It's always yes. Blondie. I, eh. it, it was one of those things where I only half listened to Uprising yeah. because I knew the song. As soon as it came sure, on, I'm right. like, oh, yeah, no, yeah. I know this one. And after I was done listening to the album, I had Call Me stuck in my head. Yep. I can't. <laughs> I literally I literally ignore whatever else is going on in the song every time that riff comes in and sing Call yeah, Me. Yeah, for sure. Um, but then... They followed it up with Undisclosed Desires, which was not good at all. United States of Eurasia, fantastic. Then three songs in a row that I could have lived without before the ending section that Pat talked about. So really high highs, really low lows is kind of the story of this album. But enough really high highs that I enjoyed the album thoroughly. Okay. We got to talk about simulation theory. Can I please give my thoughts? I would love for you to give your thoughts about this one. I was 100% on board with this up until we got to track three track one i thought was awesome so if you're not familiar with this album uh what they tried to do i think was really cool i think really awful that they tried to do it under their band name of muse because you go from being like this early 90s alternative rock band and then in 2018 you're like what if we did the soundtrack to an 80s sci-fi throwback film? And that's not where I would assume my fans would want me to go. Uh, But for me, who's a fan of that, like, Tron-esque 80s Super electronic sound. Thought that was really cool. However, track one and two, I was like, this is neat. This is, like, really cool. I, like, you know, super, like, robotic and, you know, like, the you could you could see the, the, the Victor Graph drawing mm-hmm. these Serious things. Serious question for you about track one. Is that the Stranger Things theme song? I wouldn't know. Because I think it is literally. I don't watch Stranger Things. Right. It, but, it sounds um, like that show to me. But, uh, <laughs> but so, like, track one and two, I was like, this is really cool. Like, I was getting, you know, one of my favorite albums of all time um i don't own many things on vinyl but this is one of the things that i own on vinyl i own the soundtrack to tron legacy by daft punk that is like my favorite thing to just kick back and listen to and so i listened to the first two tracks of this and i was like this is great and then (laughs) nick is openly weeping are those real tears they might be and then track three came on and i was like oh this doesn't know what it wants to be yeah. And and then the album pretty much lost me up until we got to um, Throughout Contagion, which Contagion. sort of, sorry, Thought Contagion, which sort of got back, but not enough. Mm-hmm. And then it just continued to disappoint 
from there. It was it was something that as as an as a eighties fan like myself, I got really amped and excited for when I heard what it what they were trying to do and and how it sounded at the start yeah. and then it just completely well, fell off the rails from there. Yeah, as a non eighties fan, it was never on the rails. Yeah. I got literally one second into this album before I wrote down one second in and I hate the whole album. Uh, I hated it. I hated it. I thought that Propaganda might be the worst song ever put uh, out into the public. Oh, come on. White Knight. Propaganda might be worse. I I literally couldn't even listen to the whole thing. At a minute and a half, I just said, I need to just skip to the next. Yeah, but like. was produced by Timbaland. And he did a terrible job. Just wanted to Like, the more people who got in, like, the worse the song was. But, like, what you're saying with Propaganda. You listen to track one algorithm, and if you're into that, like, you know, almost Daft Punk-esque 80s style, all of a sudden the song Propaganda comes on. You're like, you know, like, what is this? It's terrible. (laughs) I mean, the only other thing I can even think to comment on. Yeah. Now, every track is terrible. The only other comment I can even think to make is that there's a track called Something Human, and I wonder if they called it that because it's the only song on which a human might have played an instrument. so... Uh, that, my, that's all my I got. few notes. I completely agree, mostly with Nick. Although I will recognize Tyler's point about algorithm. Not my personal style, but I get that that style is done well. Sure. And I did like that the synth felt kind of menacing throughout that album, that song. Okay. Which was interesting to me. Pressure again, way too poppy, way too basic. Propaganda. I just had. Yikes vocal line. Yikes. <laughs> I had that it was almost bluesy in parts. In parts, like bluesy okay. in terms of the chord progression. Sure. But it was Didn't just help. way too overall weird for it to work. Something Human, my only note was I said, this is an Imagine Dragons song. Not not a compliment. No. Especially <laughs> not coming from Pat. <laughs> I was literally just like, oh, so this is an Imagine Dragons song. Imagine Dragons Ugh. could do that song, release it, and people would just be like, oh, they've always sang this. Yeah. Uh, the next song, Thought Contagion... I find it interesting that that's the one that turned you back around, Tyler, because my only well, note no, for that it was... Almost, it almost turned me back around. Okay, almost, it didn't, okay. I was that's No, because I, I started listening to it, and it had like that like yeah. 80s bass thing going again. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so we're getting back to the whole 80s thing you were trying <laughs> to do, but then it fell off. Right, <laughs> fell off directly into the lap of Fallout Boy. That's the, yeah. I literally what yeah. I had for that was, it sounds like Fallout Boy, but like they don't do it well. Yeah, no. well, and and like you know to to that point, I I was never a huge fan of Fallout Boy. I was a fan of maybe like five oh, Fallout yeah. Boy songs collectively Thanks for the murmurs. Uh, you know, across across their albums. So this didn't even conjure up memories of like good fallout boy songs to me Agreed. this yeah. was like oh this is the this is the new ghostbusters track that they put yeah, out for the new movie up. like yeah. this is I'm on fire. all right let's um let's real just quick. get right to the, the only thing okay. i say real quick dig yeah. down they tried to do queen again and it was significantly worse yeah it wasn't good nothing all, about this album was good. literally all i had was oh they tried queen again except they forgot how to do it from from yeah. uh, the resistance real bad okay, okay. Let's grade them. Let's grade them a little quick, too, guys. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean, like, I don't. Maybe because I'm. I wasn't in the modern music scene as I was growing up. Yeah, I mean, I, like, they're a higher cultural impact backward. than the firm. Yeah, higher than the firm. I mean, I had heard of Muse and I had heard two songs coming into this. Sure. 
Uh, I'm sure there are plenty of people out there who would be like, "How have you only heard two Muse songs?" And there, I mean, let's let's wa- let's walk through it, okay? Because yeah. I think you're gonna Showbiz went platinum, not uh, in the United States. Only United three record, three of these records went platinum in the United States, which right. would be Black Holes, but The Resistance, and uh, the second, it's or, just and then um, Absolution. Sorry, just something to kind of you know take a little bit of a look through. Yep. No, it's worth it's in worth Britain. Attention. They're going platinum, double platinum, triple platinum, yep. triple platinum, they're, double yeah. platinum, platinum. I mean, like they're they doing are... very well throughout Europe. Yeah, exactly. It took them a little while to catch on in the States. Yeah. I mean, um, it, I mean, and then the they fell off in the States kinda, a little bit the quicker. Resistance, the resistance went platinum. Right. And I'm actually glad that's the one you picked because obviously look at the, I mean, look at the charts on that. Album. Yeah, because it went platinum like almost everywhere in the world. But um, and, yeah, no, so definitely there's... The, the, the worst chart position for it... Was in Finland and the United States, it was number three. Yeah. Everywhere else, it was number exactly. one. Exactly. And I think it was on the strength of the two lead sing- singles that everybody knows. Right. But it should have been on the other music, because really the other music was great. Music. Yeah. Uh, um. So, I think they're probably, I mean, if we look at it, eight studio albums. Um, okay. Which, I mean, we're getting a little bit in a breath of We'll work, do both. But That's fine. Eight studio albums that all went crazy high sales thresholds and everywhere but America where they went decent sales thresholds for a right. lot of them. Which, they, I mean, that's I probably would, in the six to... I would be putting them yeah. in, like, the six range. Yeah. For so, cultural impact and breadth of work. Interesting. Because I would I think, think they're a little bit lower on cultural impact because I feel like they're mostly forgotten in terms of, like, okay. the general public. Listen, I could be talked to an average, but you probably won't get me below average. I'm not trying to go below average. Okay, good. Because I, I think average is about a good place for them for cultural impact. I just think it's mostly on the backs for worse. I think we all agree because Agreed, of the strength yeah. of the other stuff. They're mostly just brought back to relevancy because of Uprising and Resistance. Yeah. Those songs are kind of the major, you know, social talking points for them. Yeah, I would agree. So okay I would be okay five going and five six. and six. Sure. And then instrumental talent. I mean, the whole last album was was garbage. Um, garbage. They sh- a lot of what I liked about the resistance. I don't know necessarily if it was their instrumental talent or their songwriting talent, the way that they arranged those pieces. I almost want to say their songwriting is actually think, stronger yeah. than their instrumental I would talent completely itself. Completely agree with you. I think. The vocals are weak pretty much I agree. throughout. Yeah. And I you know Matthew Bellamy won't allow anyone else in the studio when he records vocals. The rest of the band, no one can be there but one producer and him. Well, I'd be embarrassed too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Yeah. Um, I should start doing that. Just kicking Yeah, right. Out. Exactly. Wait so, out in the cold I mean, I don't I think they were necessarily bad at their instrument. I mean, Bellamy played Chopin beautifully, and Chopin is a notoriously difficult classical composer to play. Agreed. So, I mean, as a piano player, he's magnificent. Um, I am really, I'm leaning towards. But not as a vocalist. Listening to everything individually, I would be leaning towards probably a high four. Really? Okay. So, and this is just me. And again, there was a lot about this that I didn't care for. I thought he was so good as a piano player that that would pull them them up into the, like, five range. Um... So I was thinking literally just listening to the rest of the album's instruments. Yeah. They were no, so inspired yes. and synthy. That's fair. That's that fair. I was actually giving them a full point for his piano playing. Wow. Okay. That's um, where I was. So, I mean. It, okay. I get that argument. Let's go with a 4-8. That, that's okay. maybe okay. like a little bit I'm up, okay at least. Um, but the songwriting, I think that their arrangements are fantastic. 
Uh, and yeah. when I say well, their arrangements are fantastic, I'm talking resistance. specifically about the, the Resistance. So, and some scattered pieces from the first album. So because of that, because it's just the one album, yeah. or one that and hurts. a half that albums, does hurt. I mean, I feel like we can be very clear where we're saying if it was just the Resistance, I'd be giving mm-hmm. them like a seven. Yeah. But because it's all of them, I'm giving them like a five. Okay. And now I will say it should be a little bit higher than a five. And my reasoning for that will be because even though I despised the final album and I didn't, and I, you know, was like fishing for things to like about the first one, there was growth and change. Sure. And, you know, they experimented with different styles. They were, they had enough courage to try um, a bunch of different things. So I would be willing to give their songwriting. Um, after taking points away for how much we hated a lot of the songs, mm-hmm. five and a half. Okay, I can do five and a half, Tyler. And this is for what category again? Fair enough, he agrees. Good, he agrees. Let's Poetic talent. I'll let you guys take the floor on this one. Um, my my biggest issue that I really have with Muse in general, and we've sort of been talking about it this whole time, they don't have their own sound. No. And when they do, they do have their own sound, it's like, Two songs on the album are are their sound, and you're like, I don't know where to put this in a genre. Yeah. And then right. everything else is like, oh, you did a Radiohead song. Oh, you did a Queen-style song. It's it, So I can't give them poetic talent because it just doesn't feel like they're writing for themselves. Okay. It's like, what if, what if I wrote a song like how Queen would write a song about a subject. It's it, it doesn't it doesn't feel okay. organic. It doesn't feel real. That's that's a respectable. I I like that, and I agree with that on a front. And I think that lyrically, and vocally both, because you know, the lyrics aren't sang well. No. And it it bugs me, and I think that you know. If if I'm sitting there actively rooting for a song to remain instrumental as a vocalist, yeah, and the lyrics don't even kind of pull them out of of of, uh, of negativity to me, I'm probably leaning towards like in the fours. Okay, where in the fours would you guys like to set under up? four five? Okay, I mean like if I were a movie producer and I mm-hmm. wanted to make a movie about Radiohead but I couldn't get the rights to their story or any of their songs, I'd be like, well, instead of calling the band Radiohead, we'll call it something else, and we'll let these guys write the songs, and we'll just tell their story, but change it for legal reasons. Fair enough. Okay, so I am going to give Muse uh, an X Factor point one, and here's the reason why I'm going to do that, because you guys are looking at me like I'm crazy. So it is because... (laughs) Uh, Matthew Bellamy holds the world record for the most guitars smashed on a tour with like over 150 or something like that. My and gosh. I think that is fascinating. I just yeah, but remember, is, that, is yeah. that really something so, that we should be praising? It, it horrifies me as Here's a person a with a bunch of guitars Here's that I love. What's hilarious to me is, uh, fun fact about Low Totem, we did this gig, um, it was a place called Brady's in, uh, mm-hmm. in Feasterville. Oh, God. And five minutes before the gig was supposed to start, Nick, who had his guitar on a stand, um, it's a it was a Gibson Les Paul, mm-hmm. fell onto the floor and the headstock just snapped down and broke. As anyone who plays guitar will attest, that Gibson wow, headstock. Wow, I like the soundtrack to yeah. us talking about his guitar. Yeah, breaking. interesting. So, uh, either way, can you gonna turn it off? I, well, Sorry. he'll get there. He'll get it's there. It's okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Proof that we record live, guys. Seriously. Anyway. 
Uh, but yeah, five minutes before the gig started, and that was the day we learned we were still kind of newish to right. to doing the gigs there. And we were like, well, we always bring more than one guitar now. Yes, we do. Every single time. And now I bring like five And now every he day. brings like five. But yeah. that uh, was a moment where our hearts just sank. We're just like, well, was this the is the end. Okay. So speaking of the end, our last band for today is Fish. This episode of Totem Talks, like every episode, is brought to you in part by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Uh, so let me explain. It is free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit all of your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple, and many other podcasting platforms. Uh, You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Uh, And it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. To get started, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. Okay, so fish. I mean, I think... Do you want me to give the I introduction? Would, yeah, I, I, would I would love wait, to yeah, give the introduction. Wait, hold on, hold on. Can I? Can I please? Can I please give the introduction? Oh, okay. Uh, uh, so, okay. Um, Pat, you'll probably remember this. Um, back when we kind of like first met and started hanging out, I want to say we're gonna throw it back to like two thousand eight, two thousand and nine. Yep. Uh, we all used to like hang out at my house and like goof around yes, on GarageBand, and we would like you know get microphones and get sample tracks and yeah. record people talking and like throw music on underneath it and we actually made the first fish album <laughs> fascinating so tyler is clearly <laughs> uh, i'm not going to listen to him for the rest of the episode fish is now one of my favorite bands of all time okay so they're so, an american rock band yeah. from burlington vermont uh they're known for their musical improvisation they're a jam band they're essentially like with the exception of the grateful dead the next most famous jam band in history yeah. their fan base is almost it's sort of like fish is a lifestyle for them uh, the it's band is just down, four guys, Trey Anastasio, Mike Gordon, John Fishman, and Paige McConnell, who are all you know known for their virtuosic talent on their respective instruments, playing funk, prog rock, psychedelic rock, folk, country, jazz, blues. I mean, it's the genres are all over the place. Um, so they play pretty much everything, and they've released 15 studio albums thus far. The first one, Junta. Um, then we also listen to Billy Breathes as one of their highest-selling albums of all time. And finish things up with Sigma Oasis. And I'm yeah. like tempted to just let Tyler get his garbage opinion about Junta out of the way first. So we can talk about how it was the best album we heard in go weeks. Ahead. Go ahead, Tyler. You go first. I have nothing to say. This was just, this was sounds. Okay, good. So let's Okay, move great. On. So Junta is literally one of the all-time greatest music albums that I've ever heard. And I've heard hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of them. Um, He's not kidding he, i'm not kidding he I've listens to a lot of music tons these four musicians i will say right now are top to bottom the strongest group of players we've had so far every one of them specifically players specifically players yes i mean they're brilliant players brilliant like every song all these long jams you enjoy myself uh divided sky david bowie all yes. just incredible musicianship throughout uh, Fluffhead Fluff's Travels is already one of my favorite songs of all time going into this. If you have been looking um, at our uh, Low Totems Top you 500 right. that you Nick would have and seen I are putting that together, you'd see there. that on yes. his list. Uh, but just Esther was hilarious. I just loved the storytelling of Esther. Um, you just Contact is another one of my favorite yeah. songs ever. I just, I just love Fish. This album okay. is one of my favorites ever. So let me talk keep, a little bit um, before we keep going. Uh, I surprisingly agreed with me um, with with Nick, and I say surprisingly because 
this album is technically 12 songs. Yes. Which means, on average, it's 122 minutes in length. Mm-hmm. So if each song is, you know, that's roughly 10-minute average. Right, and these songs are done in movements. I mean, like... Yes, and it's... it's Like jazz or classical. Super jazzy. Super jazzy. They're technically labeled as prog rock. Yeah, I rock. Mean, anything really and, works. But they are jazz. <laughs> yeah, they're very jazzy. It's a jazz group. Which is um, great. And which is important to me because mm-hmm. with a jazz jam band for the first time, the vocals are less important. Definitely. It's the only time you'll hear me say that is when it comes to yeah. specifically like jazz improv jamming. Mm-hmm. Vocals still would make it better. But sure. And they will later on. We'll get yeah. there. Um, but 122 minutes and I really enjoyed the whole thing. Now, I've said this before. Nick and I listen to songs differently when we pick our mm-hmm. favorite songs. When I pick a song as my favorite, it's a song that I want to listen to on repeat over and over again until I don't hear it anymore. Whereas with Nick... I like to he, save him. Yeah, he likes he likes to like sit down with like a nice like a like nice whiskey in a glass. Yeah, it's an experience, you know. And then just listen to a fish album, man. Like, yeah. That's Nick. And I knew listening to this, I'm like, oh, this is going to be Nick's favorite album of the whole Hands thing. Hands down. My one of my top 3 yeah. or 4 albums we've listened to on the whole show. Uh I'm not even going to get into specific songs because I trust Nick's opinion on that more than mine. Um, if you like this style of music, Nick will tell you which songs to listen to and hear. All of them. Yeah. (laughs) So let's move on to Billy Breathes. A very different album, actually. Very, very different. Now we're actually looking at, um, you know, normal radio length tracks, right? The longest song, there's only one on here that's over six minutes. A lot of three to four minute songs. But the greatness still picks up. Like, there's a, a really great range of sound on this record. Uh, a lot of fantastic jazzy arrangements, a lot of more laid back acoustic tunes, a ton of great piano and key sounds from Paige McConnell, who's a shout out Philly guy. Yeah, Philly guy. Uh, That's five bonus points. Fantastic player. Um, I would also say that without just like picking it apart track by track and talking about how great they all were, this is a band. That is just like particularly tight. The, I feel like these four guys are on a level where they always know the feelings that the other three are going for yes. and play together. The ability, They're really together. Uh, yeah, the ability to improv in music mm-hmm. entirely. It doesn't matter. You can know all the theory in the world. Yeah. But you will not be as good as if you know your your people you're playing with. Yeah. And it's very clear that these four guys absolutely know each other's music exactly. inside and out. And that's why they can take a, an, a record like this, which is totally different from Junta, and it still has an essential fish feel right. to it. And it's so great. Here's what I'm going to say. I wasn't as strong on this album as Nick is. Again, it's not my style of music all the way through, although I love the jazzy influences of this band. I really enjoy it. It's just not my style that I'll listen to all the time. Um, better vocals. Uh, the vocals are starting to improve yep, on this and album. And they continue to. Um, but that's pretty much my whole thing. So instead of me talking about this album, I'm going to let Tyler, because I feel like he's going to think it's just more noise. So I didn't want to interrupt these two <laughs> yeah, while, we were, while our, they were... love ballads towards Fish. While they were singing their praise. I would like to say that um, the first album we were supposed to listen to is definitively and competently music. 
I very confidently listened to their album The White Tapes. Oh, you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have listened to that. I <laughs> because get it. What we always do is listen to their first album. Right. So the White Tapes was actually It like, wasn't released officially. It was never released. It was like kind of a compilation of recordings yeah. they'd done throughout the eighties before they got signed okay. onto a label and put that out makes a record. A lot more sense. Very, very I I know I also know the White Tapes, and I can totally see why you would feel the way that you do, but Junta is a masterpiece. Yes. So I while I, I won't go so far as Nick did to, to call it a masterpiece. I because will you say, can't possibly listen to all 122 <laughs> minutes in the four minutes we gave you. I will say that it is definitely music okay. and uh-huh. not That makes a lot more sense. Oh, you know, horrible the White Tapes is not play. nearly as good. The White okay. Tapes isn't it isn't an al- I don't know why no. they released right. that. Yeah, it's not they did. <laughs> yeah, it's not they officially did. Right. released. It's they not were, officially it released. Was like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Let's move right on to Sigma Oasis. I don't want to. Okay. We are a little bit yeah, over time. Exactly. Just to be clear. Uh, again, so this was a great mixture of some of the feels. There are the epic 11, 12 minutes yeah. pieces that are done in movements that are beautiful. And then there are the three, four, five minute radio track type songs. It all works. Uh, yes. Every one of these songs, again, is really enjoyable. I'll leave you with two and let Pat give his opinion. Sure. Leaves. The dual vocals on Leaves were phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Really great song. And Shade were the okay. two, my two top picks. Hilarious because I also have two songs to talk about, and one of them is Shade. It's a great song. So uh, I this is close to Junta. I, they're kind of 1 and 1A in terms of my favorite albums we listened to today. I was talking to Nick beforehand, and I was saying, like, in order for me, it's probably... Junta and or Sigma Oasis and then The Resistance and then I'm like torn between wanting to put you know The Firm up there as well or Billy Breathes probably The Firm okay but you know it's in really great albums listening this week yeah and I feel like the last few weeks we've been a little up and down in our album listening where we had one week we had one week a few weeks ago where it was just like yeah, it was brutal uh, pavement listening. in New York pavement, Dolls. New York Dolls. Yeah, this fish know. made it all better for me. Yeah, I so I really enjoyed Sigma Oasis, uh, both the album and the song, mm-hmm. uh, which is the other one I wanted to talk about. Very structured in terms of like you're not expecting that from Fish, much mm-hmm. less improv. But it shows that when they want to write a structured good song, they write a killer song. And I mean, lyrically actually lyrically, saying something now. Lyrically actually had lyrics, which is interesting because the other songs, they don't have They're just silly. lyrics. They're just silly vocal lines to mm-hmm. kind of improv, add to that instrument. Uh, and then the other one I wanted to throw out was Shade, a really pleasant, slower song, a little less musicality in it in terms of like you're not getting the crazy piano riffs, you're not getting mm-hmm. a lot of that jazz influence, but really like good, solid pleasant song to listen to definitely um i'm shocked you didn't want to do well, you didn't show them everything's right Nick. yeah i could have i mean i the could have like again epic. i could have picked any song from any of these albums and yeah. talked about why i loved it at length so. i really liked everything's right except for the fact that it seemed to go on forever yeah and, and that's, that's that's so good for me yeah nick will yeah. just sit there and listen to 12 minute yeah. songs all day now i do have one important note on fish that i want to give before we yeah, give before we grade but i i was giving you time to do it just okay just and um, yeah. that would be 
this week's Six Degrees uh, yep. Totem Talks. So how does this week's episode relate back to something else that we've already talked about? So Mike Gordon, Fish's bassist, is also an amateur filmmaker, and he has made multiple films. <laughs> His most recent film was... Uh, like a documentary all about the life of Alan Woody, the original bassist of Government Mule. Yeah. So go figure. There so you go. There it is. So go check out that film. You you got me interested. In yeah. Right. I I pulled Tyler in. But yes, then sir. you said it was a documentary about, about a bassist, and you're bassist out again. And I'm gone. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. <laughs> Let's grade these guys. Okay. Now, so we kind of chatted I'm, about this yeah. before because I'm confused with Fish's cultural impact. Uh, so. It's one of those things where a lot of the times we get a really good band like this and their cultural impact suffers. Yeah. This happens less with them. Less with Fish. Because yeah. I, I... I mean, they're, they're the kind of band that still can tour and pack yeah. stadiums everywhere they go. There is a Fish lifestyle that a certain they segment of the population leads. They have a very, very solid cult following. Yeah. Which is important. Right. They're one of the few bands that you might actually see someone have a bumper sticker on their car of Fish. You know? Yeah, like, I saw one today. It said... Jesus, no, though. Uh, I knew you were going to Good do that. old bumper stickers. But, like, they're very equivalent to the Grateful Dead, but just much less famous. Sure. Okay. So, in terms of sales thresholds, just because, uh, Several know, gold platinum, records, but gold, 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 gold. Yeah. I'm sitting in, like, the two-ish range, unfortunately. Okay. Because, listen, 10,000 people in every city is, hu- is a huge number of people. Yeah. But it's definitely a little different because I feel like I really do feel this. I feel like you're getting the same people. Sure. I feel like there's an element of the people who yeah, just follow just I mean, like they are with a band the Grateful that people Dead. Follow, just like I mean the like Dead. they're very similar. In fact, Trey Anastasio even played with yeah. the Grateful Dead before and now John Mayer so, does it and Trey kind of handed over the I I'm sitting in like the 2ish range. What about like a 2.2? I'm okay with a 2.2. Yeah, for okay. sure because you know. Yeah. Now I They're also really good. <laughs> I now have another interesting point to make about uh, Breath of Work. So there are 15 studio albums. Uh, we thought they were all very good. Um, yes. Now here's the other thing. Fish has like a at least a dozen more live albums, and Baker's every dozen. Fish live album is also essentially a brand new album because, because they the rework improv, and rearrange yeah. and improv all their songs. In fact, Fish doesn't even make set lists when they play live. Yeah. They just like get a feeling from the crowd and make it up as they go along for every show, so which is phenomenal. that's why you guys do that. Yeah, that's why we do that. But um, So I almost think that unlike most bands, their live albums are almost like they're arranging new pieces and putting more music out there. 100%. So I think they should get a little bit of a boost from that on top of their 15 very good studio albums. Okay. So to me, it's um, got, like, the only thing that is knocking from their score is the lack of critical, or of, you know, commercial success. There's gold albums, and you said there was one platinum? Yeah, the first one. Okay, the first one's platinum, and then there's a handful of gold. But otherwise, they're all very well done, and there's a lot of them. So I want to be, you know, decently above average, but I understand points okay. have to be taken away for Nick, not selling more. throw out a number, buddy. Seven and a half. Okay, 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 okay. Tyler, what do you think? Uh, like, <laughs> okay. I don't know. Okay. I don't. Seven. I don't know how to give them a number because it is it, it's again it's a style of music. While I don't hate it, I don't yeah. love it, 
and I really don't want to come off as being overly negative, with yeah. my exception towards my feelings towards the white tapes, which well, I absolutely fine. despise. I, yeah, that's fine. Right. <laughs> Very okay, different. that's fair. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little tiny bit lower than you, Nick. Still in okay. the sevens, but more like a seven point two. So I'm gonna put them in a seven four, which is fine. With and me. Uh, okay, now instrumental talent, I have a hard floor on. And uh, with the floor, we agree. On. It's a floor because we look at a guy like Stevie Ray Vaughan, who is you know at the very top of the guitar game, and he got a nine and a half because his vocals yeah. brought him down. And I look at a band like Fish where. All four members are pretty much at the top of their game when it comes to their instrument. Not widely recognized there, but I agree oh, that they, they deserve Now, to let be me there. say that not maybe not in popular culture. In, popular in culture. musicians' culture, yeah, Trey I mean, Anastasio and Paige McConnell and Mike Gordon, all these guys are like worshipped. Amongst, I am you know, I'm, like, I'm talking pop culture for me. Fair enough. Typically, when I say something like that, it means pop culture. Yeah, I know musicians. Right. In rank. musician world, all yeah. these guys are like constantly talked about as so, great. I so nine and a half nine is and my half. is my floor, and, and I agree putting okay. them there. Fair enough. Uh, I mean, uh, same reason we took away points from Stevie Ray. Vocals yeah. lack. Right, exactly. Okay, songwriting talent. Okay, these guys. Now, I thought each album was different. Okay, let me be let me be clear on this. Okay, for songwriting talent, how much of this is songwriting versus music theory and improv? So now, that's that's saying, why I'm not as high on them as I am for instrumental talent. Okay, good because I really I'm still do, above average. I'm above average too, but I'm only in like I I would probably cap it a six, dude. Really? Because I was I was seven. Okay, I was, seven was a so, number. So I mean, me. we can go a little bit in between the two of them, right. but my reasoning is, especially listening to Junta, which is the best album. Which yeah, it's clearly fantastic. all improv in studio. There's yeah. none of that is written. Right, which I think is better. It's on better any, musically. On any record, I think you go in and you improv your solos, yeah. and then you, you do it like five or six times it until you find the sound that you like. And you don't, don't get me wrong. But write it out now for now. From a songwriting point of view, they're not writing them with structure. They are No, I mean, them. these movements that they do, though, yeah. within all the songs is what I was going to get yeah, to, yeah. is why they're real. Like, a 12-minute song by Fish isn't like the same 12-minute chordal okay. jam. There are... Specific and distinct movements, and the song yes. changes and evolves over time. And okay. I also felt like their albums changed and evolved over time, which is why I am above average on them. Okay, so you're at a seven, I'm at a six. So six Depending and a half. Depending on is what Tyler middle. says. Well, we know he doesn't like it. Which would technically mean he agrees with me. That would. So I can put, put them more. at a six three. I'm, I'm okay with that. I'll I, move towards your. your I'm end. sorry, Dad. I'm going to have to go with Mom on this I one. I know, I know. You guys don't appreciate I, jazz the way that I appreciate it. Uh, first of all, I love No, Pat, appreciate Pat, jazz. I know you do. Um, I do not. I know. I mean, so this obviously is where they're the going to suffer. Yeah, they're, they're a bunch of nonsense on the first couple albums. A bunch of nonsense. I mean, they fun, only wrote fun and funny nonsense. Yeah, but still nonsense. You're but not still talking, nonsense. You're not. It's not poetry. Right. It's, it's vo- it's the voice as an instrument. I like how in jazz. I like how you like fun and funny nonsense. But when I'm just like Nick, you should listen to Weird Al. You're like no. Well, not until we get to that episode. Um, no, I want you to just do it in general. I don't care if we never do an episode so, on it. Oh, we're going to. We're definitely episode. doing Weird Al episodes. I'm so I mean, Nick, I'm going to throw out a number, Please. and I feel like I'm being generous. Fair enough, but let's just be clear. Sigma Oasis, the poetry on that was much better than the first two albums. Which is where this number's coming from. Fair enough. Which is a 2.8. I'm going to roll with it. Okay. I, I mean, Now, listen, my only really question is, like, is the cult fish following... Is that something? Because it's either the jam band cult fish lifestyle that gives bonus points to Grateful Dead and Fish only, or that's not a factor at all for either I mean, band. 
I don't think it's a factor. I think okay. we I think we really did bump their cultural impact. Fair enough. Well, because can I, of that. Can I say can I say this and you may and Nick will probably appreciate me for saying it. I will. I am Shocked. I am a fan, a uh, big fan of some really niche movies and I do think there is something to say about a cult following oh, yeah. to yeah. a band. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, not to like name drop or anything, but like I'm I'm a huge fan of Bruce Campbell. That's and while the general Campbell. public have absolutely no idea who he is. Oh, I'm sure they've seen Burn Notice. Yeah, but I mean like you're you're not, not <laughs> you're not gonna drive across the country to see the dude from Burn Notice. I, you're you're, you're gonna drive <laughs> you know, so I, I recently got, got to meet him and I got to hang out with just a bunch of, you know, Evil Dead and Bruce Campbell fans. Yeah. And there is a whole lot to be said about a group that while they're not hitting billboard charts, they're not constantly, you know, on television and stuff like that. There is an X factor and a relevance when you can get people to specifically follow you and are dedicated right. and love Okay. What you do, so, so I, I I have to give them something for that. If you okay. if I you told me like that we did that with with cultural impact, though, I personally felt like I gave them bonus points for the cult following okay. in that. All right, all right. So I'm long okay as so long way. as it's represented. Yeah. yeah. I mean, okay. That's me sticking up for a group that I don't even particularly like that right. much. But even when though you, they are great, when you've got when yeah. you, when you've got hundreds and thousands of people who are showing up to just hear you do the same songs but in different styles and stuff mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I mean, that is that is totally, you know, you are elevated and you're with the best group of fans because mm-hmm. they love everything you do not right. just the first album yeah. you put out that they liked and then rip on everything you put out afterwards these are dedicated fish oh yeah fans. Okay. i mean fish heads are a thing so i'm gonna that give means some scores. ready for scores yes so uh i don't think this will necessarily come as a surprise how it ended up this week but uh the firm was our loser uh, with an 18.2, which is a very respectable losing score. Oh, super groups. I know. And then Muse uh, followed them up with 25.5. And, and then the d- true darlings of the episode, yeah. j- uh, Fish, were our big winners. And I'm so proud of them with a 28.2. <laughs> I and wish it could have been more. seriously, it's one of those things where, unfortunately, I mean, they would have been super upper echelon for us if they just hit the culture a little more and if they had a little bit more poetic Yeah. Oh, stuff. definitely. Um, you know, those are the two big detractors. For right, me. exactly. So uh, next week, please come back to hear about war and what are they good for? Absolutely nothing. We shall see. <laughs> are we doing so. Jackie Chan? <laughs> no, but what we are going to do is tell you guys to check out lowtotemband.com for more information about us as a band and also some stuff about Totem Talks and just some, And upcoming, you know, you know music that we're personally releasing. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, fun stuff like that. And also, please use the hashtag Totem Talks on your social media platforms to uh, let us know how we're doing. Give us some feedback. If you really enjoyed it, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And uh, even if you're listening to us not on Apple Podcasts, if you really liked it, go ahead and do that because that's where you leave reviews is on Apple Podcasts. But just let us know how we're doing. You know, we love feedback. You yeah. know, uh, we already had the feedback about how everyone hates Tyler, so this is his last episode. That's true, yeah. We heard that a <laughs> lot. A surprising amount, even for just me. Just kidding, Tyler. We need our personal chef. Yes. 
And all kidding aside, I, I would like to give a quick shout out to one of our sponsors. Um, if you're having problems staying regular, listen try to Anchor Podcast. Yes, uh, right. Anchor Podcast, who actually is sponsoring this episode, so we can't talk about other sponsors. That's correct, because <laughs> no, there aren't any. No, I was I was given a large sum of money to talk about these male enhancement pills. So I, I don't uh, think okay. you were. Say I don't. Cut the recording. Cut the recording. Try Fetamins. I use them myself. Have a great day. <laughs> <laughs>